A major shift in pandemic management. We cannot eliminate all risk. New messaging now that we know Omicron isn't going away. COVID enforcement at the border. When you remove 10 to 15 percent of supply, that has an effect on demand. The U.S. gets serious about double vaccinated visitors. And B.C.'s jazz legend puts her stamp on music history. At 102 years old, one doesn't expect to even be remembered. How Canada Post is honoring the great Eleanor Collins. You're watching Global B.C. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We're going to get to those stories in a moment, but we want to start with breaking news. A Canadian tourist has reportedly been killed and two others wounded in a shooting at a hotel on Mexico's Caribbean coast. The local state security chief posted these pictures on social media of a hotel guest carrying a gun at the Ishkaret Resort near Playa del Carmen. He says all three shooting victims were rushed to hospital. One died en route. There's no word yet on where any of the Canadian victims are from. We'll bring you more details on the breaking story as soon as they come into our newsroom. But right now, three Canadians shot, one killed at a resort near Playa del Carmen. All right, now to the pandemic. And the province is changing its approach when it comes to the pandemic, providing new guidelines this week for how we're all going to live with the virus moving forward. It's a clearer picture of what we're supposed to do with reduced isolation times, no contact tracing, and limited COVID-19 testing. Richard Zussman has more. Planning for the end. Getting through this pandemic is far about far more than public health orders. It's about all of us taking care of ourselves, our families, our communities, doing our part every day. It has been a week of dramatic change in the way British Columbians will live with COVID-19. There's no more need to isolate, if you are feeling well, for close contacts to a COVID case. Most symptomatic people will not be able to test. There's still high risk for the immunocompromised, unvaccinated, pregnant people, and those working and living in high-risk settings. They will still have access to testing. I think we need to go back to the basic principles. The Omicron variant is different. So we have adapted how we manage this situation. Well, most people now will not need testing for COVID-19. A cough and a runny nose have been added to COVID symptoms. You can return to regular activities as soon as symptoms are gone, and contact tracing has been deemed impossible. The burden for managing symptoms now largely on the backs of British Columbians. <laughs> but if you have a mild illness like a sore throat or the sniffles, stay home. And if you feel better the next day, then you can go back to school or work or childcare. There are extreme limitations in the ability um, to do the kind of pandemic management that we've all gotten accustomed to. But this is not yet endemic. There are still significant COVID-19 measures in place, including capacity limits at events, and the province is still heavily focused on mass COVID-19 vaccination. We are clearly not in a place where it's endemic right now. What we are doing is adjusting to the changes that we've seen from the new variant. It's what we're dealing with right now. So we will know that we are in that endemic phase when we're not 
putting stress on the healthcare system, no canceled surgeries, the waiting times for various procedures are back to normal. You're able to see a healthcare provider. There was also rapid testing set to soon ramp up in strategic areas. COVID safety plans, masking and vaccine cards may be in place for a while still, but the rest, the messaging Friday points to that being up to you. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Well, it's not surprising, but it is still concerning the spike we're seeing in hospitalizations in the last 24 hours. There are 924 people in hospital. 130 of those patients are in the ICU. Nine more people have died from complications of the virus. Active cases have fallen again to just under 34,000, and that includes about 2,600 new cases identified in the last 24 hours. We'll bring in Keith Baldry now and Keith... Let's take a look at what's been a tough week reflected in those numbers. Yeah, probably one of the toughest weeks since the pandemic began on all sorts of the most serious indicators of severe illness. Again, the the true hospitalization number isn't reflected in the the 921 we saw today because 145 people actually tested positive yesterday in BC's hospitals. Uh, Again, over the course of a week, that's more than 491. Uh, Also, 130 people are now in ICU. That's an increase of 31 in just since Monday. That's That's a huge spike. 68 patients in ICU are on ventilators. That's an increase of 23 people now needing help to breathe since Monday. 41 people died this week. There was a time just a few weeks ago, Chris, when the number of people dying had really dropped quite low. Our ICU numbers were dropping. Our hospital numbers are dropping. Obviously, the exact opposite uh, direction right now. But this is not expected to last much longer. This may very well have peaked today or over the weekend. And hopefully, hospitalizations begin their descent next week, along with ICU cases and, and people dying from COVID-19. But again, we're at the peak of this and hopefully it doesn't get worse than what we've seen this week. All right, Keith, thanks very much for the analysis there. And with COVID infections, hopefully on a downward track, many people are thinking of getting away for spring break in March. Right now, there's a testing requirement to come back into the country. But Kristen Robinson takes a look at the evolving landscape of that. Many are wondering if the COVID turbulence that stalled spring break vacation since 2020 will soon be over. Now that Canada's top doctor says the country's Omicron wave may have peaked, with signs of a slow in spread, a boosted population, and more kids getting vaccinated. I really hope that by the end of that next month, we'll be in a better position. Even with an advisory to avoid non-essential travel outside Canada still in place, travel agents are seeing a surge in interest. We're being bombarded right now. There's a lot of pent-up demand. Um, Families have missed two spring breaks already. One BC doctor even tweeting, very optimistic that the worst is behind us. Confident enough that I've rebooked family travel for March spring break. First time in over two years. There are rules upon return. Anyone five and older entering Canada must present a pre-arrival negative PCR or other molecular COVID test. Once they land, those coming from any country other than the U.S. are subject to mandatory arrival testing at the government's expense. Those arriving from the U.S. are tested randomly. It would be surprising to see something 
push Omicron out very quickly, but we need to be able to watch for that. So if you can still do that through random testing, um, you may be able to get, you know, at least some uh, surveillance coverage on, on what else there is. Air Canada and WestJet have asked the feds to drop the arrival testing requirement for vaccinated travelers. As the situation evolves, obviously, we will keep adjusting our measures. It would be sure nice if it could be changed from a PCR to a more affordable and rapid antigen test. And don't let your guard down. Experts say you don't want to get COVID while you're away. Because at this stage of the game, anyone coming back can't board a flight until the 11th day. And so that can add a huge expense and hassle to anyone. And we're dealing with that right now. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Two men who refused to comply with mask requirements were removed from a flight at Abbotsford Airport. The men were on a flight from Toronto to Abbotsford when police say they were disruptive and refused to wear their masks. Officers removed the men once the plane landed. Abbotsford police say Swoop has banned the pair from all future flights. Transport Canada is also investigating. Canada's truckers are planning a national convoy from B.C. to Ottawa next week to protest new cross-border rules that kick in tomorrow morning. As Paul Johnson reports, truckers say new regulations requiring them to be fully vaccinated will make B.C.'s supply problems much worse. Arriving at its birth in Victoria, the Coho Ferry is one of a handful of ships that makes cross-border trips down to the U.S., since the border reopened last fall, only vaccinated Canadians have been allowed into the U.S. But starting tomorrow, travelers have been advised they'll not only need to be vaccinated, but must be able to show proof as well. But the bigger impact is likely to be caused by new bans on unvaccinated truckers. Starting last week, Ottawa forbid them to cross into Canada. And on Saturday, the Americans will mirror that with a corresponding southbound prohibition. By this time, if people have made decisions not to be vaccinated, um, there's not a lot that's going to motivate them to become vaccinated. Dave Earl is head of the BC Truckers Association. And like his counterparts in the U.S., he's persuading all commercial drivers to get vaccinated. But with inflation running at its highest in a generation and supply chains disrupted to an unprecedented degree, he's skeptical about whether this is the right move now. As we see this one more element come into it, what we expect to see is that there's going to be increased cost pressures to move goods. There's going to be a tightening of supply. Transport Canada told Global News Friday they believe the best way to safeguard our supply chain is to get all truckers vaccinated. But when asked if cross-border truckers have been a problem for COVID spread, they weren't able to provide answers about that. Industry advocates say truckers proved they could get the job done through many months of the pandemic and have never been shown to be a significant vector for transmission. But what we've said to them is we need to be thoughtful and think about the harm we're creating and weigh that off against the harm we're preventing. Paul Johnson, Global News. Critics are calling on the B.C. government to reverse its decision to bring back pay parking at B.C.'s hospitals on March 4th. The health minister says too many people are abusing the free parking. But as Nitu Garcha reports, critics say there's an easy solution to that problem. Possible, isn't it? I like coming here at night, at least at the parking spot. 
With the video sped up, you can catch a quick glimpse of the slow process of finding a parking spot at Vancouver General Hospital and St. Paul's Hospital, where the staff lot is full. Part of the problem is people taking advantage of free parking instated in April of 2020. Several hundred complaints later, the province now plans to reinstate pay parking across B.C. on March 4th. Now they'll continue to be free for children, uh, for parents of children who are in the hospital overnight, for example, for people dealing with chronic conditions that require chronic care, such as, for example, dialysis. And along with those changes, Minister Dick says an app will also be made available to make the parking process easier, adding it will help bring back about $15 million in net revenue for hospital foundations and services. But the BC Nurses Union is asking him to reconsider removing free parking, saying it's a blow to its members. What we're asking is that they provide free parking to nurses and healthcare workers and, um, you know, find other ways to go after the people who are abusing the system. The CEO of the Nurses and Nurse Practitioners Association of BC says it's long been a contentious issue, still lacking a long-term solution. We should come up with a solution that ensures that patients are able to access care as easily as possible something the group hospitalpayparking.ca has been advocating for. There's technologies in place already in use around the world that use license plate scanning technologies to link up with a person. So if we're going to separate hospital patients on their their treatment, on their, their health issues, we're creating something that's not really smelling like universal access to health care. Because he feels there's sure to be more bad apples finding a way to skirt the rules. And it will be those the program was aimed at helping who will continue paying the price. Neetu Garcha, Global News. It's been seven months since fire destroyed the town of Lytton. And some residents are no closer to being able to go home than they were on that day. Why they're all still waiting in just over a minute. Have you seen the girl? The barrier-busting jazz legend from B.C. and the honor Canada Post just delivered to her. Coming up later on the news hour, And we're going to go all the way tonight memorializing rock legend and theatrical genius Meatloaf a little later. Right now, though, residents of the devastated community of Lytton are still waiting for any kind of progress in getting their town and their homes rebuilt. But the recovery effort from last year's wildfire is being hampered again by Mother Nature and by bureaucratic delays. Our report is from CFJC News. Nearly seven months after the Lytton wildfire, 170 households are still displaced and can't go home. On that fateful day in June 2021, Denise O'Connor lost her house of 35 years. She's been staying at a nearby family home, hoping and waiting to rebuild. There's the trauma of the day of the fire. There's the trauma of uncertainties. Where are we going to live? There's still, you know, my neighbor who's 80, just turned 85 years old is living in a motel in Merritt still. She doesn't know where she's going to be. Lytton's Main Street remains untouched and according to residents, it looks almost exactly the same as it did after the fire. Toxic debris still sits on the ground from the Lytton fire and until it's cleaned up, the mayor says the village will have to wait to make steps toward a rebuild. We had started debris removal uh, back the first week of November. This is before the highways were washed out. 
and we got shut down. Polderman says it stopped because the village needed multiple permits like heritage, building and more. But in order to start again, the village's recovery manager says the municipality has to fund its own cleanup. But for a small community like Lytton, this is difficult. Unfortunately, Lytton doesn't have the financial um, capacity at this time to fund uh, the debris removal. So Lytton is asking the province to help with the funding, a responsibility that is not included in provincial legislation. Parliamentary Secretary Jennifer Rice is the liaison between the government and Lytton. She says around a million dollars has already been given to Lytton to pay its staff and for economic recovery. And more money is in the works. Most big things in government have to go through uh, scrutiny through the Treasury Board. So it's not necessarily the most efficient. Amanda Lina Letario, CFJC News. Two months after the devastating Fraser Valley floods, and there's a lot of work to prevent it from happening again. The final cost of all the damage, the emergency response, and the repairs is still unknown, but it's expected to top at least a billion dollars. Much of the flooding in November was due to the failures of the Sumas River dike and the levees holding back the Nooksack River in Washington State. Now, an expert roundtable hosted by the University of the Fraser Valley is warning that even in light of those real-world examples, upgrading all of the aging flood prevention infrastructure is going to be a hugely complicated and expensive process. We have to have the bottom line assumption that this is most likely to happen again. It's happened in history and it's, and it's happened. And, I, and there, if this was an easy solution to fix, it would have been done already. Um, it is incredibly complicated because there is that imaginary line called the international border, and you now have various levels of governments and First Nations on both sides of the border that have similar competing interests as they do on the Fraser itself. A 2016 report estimated the cost of the worst-case scenario of a flooding Fraser River at about $30 billion. Coming up, the Manitoba border tragedy. Sometimes you're forced to make choices that um, are dangerous. New details in the human smuggling horror that ended in a frozen field. And also tonight, a waste of a good Tim Hortons coffee and why police are looking for the man who did it. Traffic is steady over here in both directions at the Alex Fraser Bridge tonight, but leftover volume remains on the east-west connector westbound after clearing an earlier crash at the S-curve. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Wisson in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. West Shore RCMP are searching for a suspect in a disturbing incident at a Tim Hortons in Langford. A man who refused to wear a mask in the coffee shop on January 12th was denied service. Police say he returned the next day and bought a coffee from the drive-thru and then went inside where he was asked to leave because of the previous incident. Security video shows him throwing his coffee at the employee and then walking out. The staff member wasn't hurt. Anyone with information is asked to call the West Shore RCMP. We are learning more tonight about a man in U.S. police custody accused of being involved in an international human smuggling operation. He was arrested shortly before the discoveries of four bodies along the Manitoba-U.S. border. 
Global's Brittany Greenslade has the latest on the tragedy. They spent their last hours freezing, attempting a treacherous and dangerous trek across the border illegally from Manitoba into the United States. Now officials say it was a human smuggling tragedy. Four Indian nationals left in the cold. These aren't easy decisions to come to. These aren't decisions that anyone would make if better options were available for them or for their families. Uh, feel it necessary to resort to these types of crossing to possibly build a better life. And U.S. officials have one man behind bars who they believe facilitated it. 47-year-old American Steve Shand. Court documents say Homeland Security believes it was part of a larger human smuggling operation, which Shand is suspected of being involved in. In an affidavit filed in U.S. court, Homeland Security Special Agent John Stanley says Shand is accused of smuggling at least 11 foreign Indian nationals across the border this week, including the four who didn't survive. A trek likely made out of desperation. When you're faced with no other choices, um, Sometimes you're forced to make choices that um, are dangerous, are uh, risky, and put your family in the hands of someone that you might not be able to actually trust. Shand was arrested while driving a 15-passenger van with two of the migrants inside. Five others were picked up walking, wearing identical cold-weather gear. They each had what appeared to be new black-in-color winter coats with fur-trimmed hoods, black gloves, black balaclavas, and insulated rubber boots, Stanley said in his affidavit. Shand was also in possession of matching gloves and balaclava. U.S. authorities suspect him of being part of three other recent smuggling incidents in the area. In one instance, three sets of boot prints were found, all made by the same brand of boots. On another occasion, a backpack with a price tag inside showing a value in rupees. So far, no other suspects have been named in this case. Shand makes his second court appearance Monday. Brittany Greenslade, Global News. An update now on the breaking news we told you about at the top of the show. Two Canadians are now reported dead and one injured in a shooting in Mexico. It happened today at a hotel resort near Playa del Carmen on the Caribbean coast. The local state security chief posted these pictures on social media of a hotel guest carrying a gun. All three shooting victims, two men and one woman, were rushed to hospital. Two of them died en route. Local officials say Canadian police have told them that the suspect and two of the people who died have long criminal records for drug offenses and violent crimes. Still no word yet on where any of the people involved are from. Just ahead in the midst of COVID, keep calm and carry on. Kids definitely look up to their parents to take their cues. Experts weigh in on the best way to tackle fear and anxiety in children. And a lot of love for Meatloaf, a musician and actor who always understood his role. Still a bit of a lineup here for northbound to the Massey Tunnel. It looks like counterflow has not been pulled for southbound traffic and you've just got one lane out of Delta. Through a new charitable partnership between Kermat Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermat Collision at Autoglass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above Highway 99 and the Massey Tunnel. 
Rock superstar and character actor Meatloaf has died at the age of 74. Hard living and hard rocking, his career spanned six decades, during which he sold more than 100 million albums, including Bat Out of Hell, one of the best-selling albums of all time. I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. This morning, love for the legendary rocker Meatloaf, who died Thursday at the age of 74. The singer behind the iconic album Bat Out of Hell, one of the best-selling albums of all time, and decades of movie roles. His death was announced on his official Facebook page. Our hearts are broken, the statement read in part. The musician's wife Deborah, daughters Pearl and Amanda, and close friends were by his side in his final 24 hours. A cause of death was not given. Born Marvin Leaday in Dallas, he had a career spanning six decades, selling more than 100 million albums worldwide. His 1977 debut album, Bat Out of Hell, including the hit Paradise by the Dashboard Light. I can see paradise by the dashboard light. Sparking a devoted fan base. He appeared in the stage and screen version of the cult classic, The Rocky Horror Picture Show. In the 1990s, he had a career resurgence with his hit, Anything for Love. And in movies, including Wayne's World, Spice World, and Fight Club. My name is Bob. Bob. Even stopping by today, thrilling fans with performances and witnessing a dramatic reading from Hodup and Kathy Lee. Always a sense of humor and rock and roll. The beloved rocker will be missed. Glowing like the metal on the edge of a knife. Oh, and here's no. yours. Here's your here's line. Here's yours. Meet. Here's oh, your I line. Can't, I can't even speak now. <laughs> Meet. I'm speechless. His family asking for patience and privacy, writing, We truly appreciate all of the love and support as we move through this time of grief and losing such an inspiring artist and beautiful man. From his heart to your souls, don't ever stop rocking. And also sad today, Emmy Award-winning actor and comedian Louis Anderson has died. His publicist says he was in hospital in Las Vegas when he succumbed to complications from a type of non-Hodgkin lymphoma. He was 68 years old. Anderson won a Best Supporting Actor Emmy for his role in the TV series Baskets. He was also a host on Family Feud for three years. Well, in health matters tonight, there is no doubt COVID-19 and its variants have taken their toll on our mental health. Fear of infection, changing restrictions and evolving mandates all combine to breed fear and anxiety. And if adults are feeling it, you can bet children are too. Here's Kylie Stanton. Children have largely been spared from the physical impacts of COVID-19, accounting for less than 20% of all cases recorded in BC. But the toll the pandemic is taking on their mental health is another story. We do miss like hanging out with our cousins as often and yeah. family. It's hard as a parent to know what the right thing is. According to a University of Calgary study that looked at data from 80,879 youth around the world, depression and anxiety symptoms have doubled in children and adolescents when compared to pre-pandemic times. A trend doctors at BC Children's Hospital say they're seeing as well. 
with its emergency department reporting an 11% spike in mental health presentations during the pandemic. And like so many things, it often stems from the parents. Kids definitely look up to their parents to take their cues in terms of safety in the world, for better or for worse. So if parents are feeling highly anxious, regardless of the cause, and they communicate that through their, what they say, but also just through their nonverbal um, behaviors, then especially little kids will really take their cues from that. From hand washing to masking up and everything in between, the pandemic has put added pressure on parents to keep their kids safe. And while that's still very much a priority, doctors say balancing the risk has become equally important. The real message is we have to do as much as possible as we can to support these kids so that when they come through the pandemic, we're not looking at long-term consequences of, of that. The good news, the things that have always helped kids and teens thrive still hold true. Keeping up with their routines, getting enough sleep and physical activity, spending time outdoors and quality time with family. Being together, talking about how we're feeling, those things all help. What the outcome will be long term is unknown. But right now, all many parents can do is just hang on to hope. Children are resilient, more resilient than we think. How are you doing, Patrick? We didn't tell him? Good. Yeah. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Very cute. Well, coming up, the biggest encore for Eleanor Collins. I feel wonderful and honored. How BC's jazz legend fought racism to rise to the top and get her own postage stamp. And later in sports, home sweet home for the Vancouver Canucks. Can the depleted squad find what it needs to beat Florida? Well, earlier we mentioned Meatloaf, one of the great rock and rollers. But, Christy, I understand you've got something called snow rollers to show us tonight. <laughs> yeah, so this is a very rare phenomenon, Chris, and it was spotted in the Bridge Lake area in the Caribou. And I thought I would show you this photo. So, Lydia, uh, sending us this one. And basically, when you get a very light snowfall and then you add a little bit of moisture. So, in this case, she said there was a sleety rain that came along with a very strong wind. And that's just enough moisture to sort of start uh, some accumulation of that snow. And with the wind, of course, you get these rollers. So, there's a natural snowball field out there. That would be a great uh, area to have a snowball fight. And they are. They're called snow rollers. Uh, lots of photos from everyone today, especially in Prince George. Yes, you win the prize for the best sunset across the province, although it was uh, pretty tough to choose uh, today tonight because uh, there were so many great ones. But Prince George, gorgeous with these ultra-cumulus clouds reflecting that sun's uh, as it made its way down over the horizon. So thank you to everyone. All right, so this upper-level ridge is starting to build. We're still seeing some lingering cloud cover across our region. That's going to clear overnight. And now what we're going to be concerned with is that fog layer that we talked about. So with the cool, uh, clear skies tonight, we'll start to see some fog development. And the question is, when will that fog or will that fog uh, dissipate during the day? It does mean it will be sunny and warm in the mountains. And that's why Avalanche Canada has put out that avalanche warning. Lots of people heading into the slopes. Be aware, though, that that could destabilize the layer.
layers. Uh, overall, we're looking at dry conditions across the province. Those of you in the interior, you can expect valley fog. As we are going to see radiation fog here across the south coast, you'll see that valley fog. And again, uh, the best chance of seeing the sunshine and warmth is higher up. Tonight, central windows weather window comes to you from Prince George. Yes, another saw shot of this stunning sunrise this evening. Thanks to Dylan for that one. Well, they nailed it today with the photos. Thanks very much, Christy. Well, Vancouver's First Lady of Jazz is being featured on a new commemorative stamp. The great Eleanor Collins is honored for her groundbreaking contributions to music, despite the racism she faced. And she's being honored for her leadership in the black community. As Catherine Urquhart reports, Collins says it's surreal to see herself on a stamp. Eleanor Collins is a Canadian legend. Have you seen the girl? Known as the First Lady of Jazz. I'm still in the game. Now 102 years old, she has received another honor. Canada Post has unveiled a stamp featuring Collins. I feel wonderful and honored. You know, at 102 years old, one doesn't expect to even be remembered. Born in Alberta, Collins started performing in the 1930s, later starring in The Eleanor Show, making her the first black woman to headline a TV show in North America. Over the years, she performed with greats like Dizzy Gillespie and Oscar Peterson. More recently, she shared the stage with musician Marcus Mosley. She carries herself with such dignity and with such grace. And when she stands on that stage and starts to sing, uh, something comes alive and you're, you're just, you're enraptured. Uh, she's gifted, she's talented, and she knows what to, she knows how to use that, those gifts that she has. Yeah! Collins also faced racism. When she moved to BC, white neighbors once petitioned against her black family living in the same area. In response, Collins volunteered as a music teacher at her children's school to help break down barriers. To really have someone affirm your work and life on a postage stamp, ooh, that is something. The new stamp of Collins was illustrated by David Beliveau. Friends say it's about time she received the honor and they're grateful it has been released during her lifetime. I love her. I love her forthrightness, her honesty, her commitment to believing in the positive. She's a living example of that philosophy. I'm hungry still. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Congratulations, Eleanor. That is what 102 looks like. Let's all remember that. All right, Squires here with uh, sports and a look ahead of the Canucks coming back home. Congratulations indeed. Okay, the uh, Canucks are facing Florida tonight. Florida make that. And they're doing it with Spencer Martin as their goalie. This is uh, a big step uh, for a person that hasn't played much lately. I'll say the only games he's played this season were with Abbotsford. Tonight he faces the highest scoring team in the NHL. Big ask. Also tonight, satellite debris. 80. 80. Mm. 80. 
It's going to be a first tonight. What, what did you say? I think it's the first ever goaltending matchup, Spencer versus Spencer. Huh? Spencer Knight, Spencer Martin. The Canucks are going to have to face the highest scoring team in the NHL by using an Abbotsford Canuck goalie. COVID means Spencer Martin will start for Vancouver. Hasn't lost a game in the American Hockey League this season, but hasn't played in the NHL in five years. But it's not just the goalies missing for Vancouver. Well, up until now, the Canucks have been very fortunate with their top players as far as none of them missing games with injury or positive COVID results. Just Brock Besser has missed six games. But now it's all hit the fan at once. Three of their top four players out. Both of their goalies are out. If the Canucks wanted a challenge, they've got one. We're not going to change any anything we do uh, in our lineup. Uh, we're going to play the way we play, and and guys have to just come up and and you know fill the shoes of the people that have left. And uh, it's uh, I know if it was me and I was playing, I'd classify this as the golden opportunity, my golden ticket to to see how good I can be. There is a golden opportunity for goalie Spencer Martin. He'll get just his fourth career NHL start tonight and the first since 2017. The Canucks got him from Tampa Bay over the summer as insurance, but more at the minor league level. But with both Demko and Halak out for at least the next few games, Martin gets the hot seat. He's been very good in Abbotsford this year and has been up with the Canucks for a couple of weeks, taking shots in practice and working with goalie coach Ian Clark. Sometimes we put the NHL a little bit on a pedestal. I've coached in the American League for a long time and had some tremendous goaltenders down there. So, um, I mean, he's got a Stanley Cup ring. He's been around Tampa uh, a lot. If it seems like it's been forever since the Canucks played a home game, well, it's kind of the truth. They haven't played a home game since that 4-3 win over Columbus 38 days ago. And even though it's just half capacity at Rogers Arena, they will need all the juice they can get from their hometown fans to beat the high-flying Panthers. At Rogers Arena, Barry DeLay, Global Sports. Now, there will be something rare about this year's Canadian women's Olympic hockey team, and that is a BC-born and trained player on the roster. Victoria's Micah Zandi-Hart will be part of Canada's Blue Line. When Victoria's Micah Zandi-Hart was told she made Team Canada, it was a reward for a lifetime of work, most of it done on the rinks of her home province. I'm obviously... um proud to represent BC on a team that's primarily uh, from people from out east so uh, it's always exciting to be one of the BC kids um, and I think yeah I think I'm actually the first to represent B- uh, Canada at the Olympics from BC so it's cool uh, the little girl in me is pretty proud of that I think. And judging by this photo the little girl wearing the sweater of her favorite NHL team was destined for a life in hockey and to be a leader for the women's game in BC. Yeah, I played boys hockey growing up, uh, coming from Victoria, there wasn't a lot of girls hockey. So to see the game kind of growing in our province and there's more girls programs, there's more female associations, all that sort of stuff. I think we'll continue to see more and more girls uh, representing BC on the national level. In most team photos, you can tell who Micah is. She's the one wearing the captaincy. She was even the flag bearer for BC at the 2015 Canada Winter Games. Those leadership skills go hand-in-hand with her drive. She narrowly missed the 2018 Olympics, and she made this year's Olympics after suffering injuries last year. I don't want to take, you know, a second of this for granted, whether it's the the ups or the downs of the next month or so. Uh, 
but definitely anytime I get to put on, you know, this logo or the hockey Canada logo on my chest on the ice is I can't help but smile. Cause as a kid, that's all I wanted to do is wear that Jersey. And I had multiple Canada jerseys growing up and I was always drawing the hockey Canada logo all over any art project that I had. So to finally get to wear that on my chest is, is definitely uh, a moment and a thing that I never take for granted. BC Lions have released wide receiver Lamar Durant. He was uh, limited to just eight games last season with 24 catches because of foot and rib injuries. Had a great 2019, his first year with the Lions when he had 57 catches and five touchdowns. Was a star at Centennial High School in Coquitlam and also at Simon Fraser University. Dennis Shapovalov against number 23, Riley Opelka. Number 14 against number 23 to see who will get to the fourth round at the Australian Open. This is a long game in the first set. Look at Opelka. Nope. Uh, nope. Uh, nope. All right, I'm done. But in this same game, Shapovalov did this and actually won this game. Great backhand. Shapovalov will win this in four sets. And he will take on... Alex Zverev in the next round to the fourth round for Denis Shapovalov. There you go. All right, thanks very much, Squire. We've got some classics lined up in Satellite Debris coming up next. Considering I'm one of a few people who thought it was Friday yesterday, let's end the week on a high note. It's a good thing it wasn't because I wasn't ready. <laughs> okay, so um, we're going to have a, a famous old Skittles commercial in this one. But first, this is run on the Golf Channel. I don't usually run ones that are running in North America, but I like this one so much. So we'll start with Geico. <laughs> What is an overpass? Come on. Question, is that an S or a 5? I think it's a 5. I thought so. Ah, frustration loading. Nobody wants more robot tests, but we could all use more ways to save. Charlotte for Rob Ott or Rob Ott. Error, human. Switch to Geico for more ways to save. that last animal was okay this is um, from late last year uh, Dario Costa is a uh, racing pilot from Italy becomes the first person to fly a plane out of a tunnel and then through another tunnel and lives to tell here we go there he is Dario so this is this first tunnel got to get out of that Right in the next one? Oh, yeah. 
right in the next one, and not very far off the ground either. Well, I guess he can't hear. He hit the roof of this thing. Now that's concentration. That was all done at about 250k, if you're wondering. And that is the, that's got to be the last thing Red Bull can ever do. Oh no, they'll think. The, of they run out of, they got to run out of else. ideas. They'll think of something else. Okay, uh, this is also a classic. The Spice Girls. This is from a couple of years ago with uh, comedian Guz Khan. Here we go. We are live with the Spice Girls. <laughs> We're outside the house. The Spice Girls, best ever fan. We're about to surprise them. That's not my house. This is my house! You're my house! Oh. Spice Girls! Oh. Spice Girls are here! Yeah! Oh. You are coming on our tour! Let's see this! Oh. 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 The Spice Girls are in the house! I don't believe this! <laughs> oh, can I have a quiz? <clears throat> Biscuits instead, they taste. No. I'll just have a crisp. No, no, leave the crisp. No. Huh? Give the crisp. Huh? No. Ow. <clears throat> oh. Ow. Please give them a one crisp. No, Thank you. I thought you were our biggest fan. What the? He's next him. He's next him. Shared your crisps, Dev. Come on, man. Son, you should have said your crisps. Mum! Oh, Dev, it's not you. Our best ever cheese and onion is now even harder to share. When it comes to the crunch, it must be Walker's. <laughs> His mother got to go with the Spice Girls. I'm not betting, so bad. I'm betting she had a pretty good time after that. Okay, in 10 seconds or less, what, last word on weather for the weekend. Okay, so some fog and low-level cloud will likely develop tonight and linger tomorrow morning. Hopefully we'll break out of it in the afternoon with some sunshine, and it's, we'll probably see that again on Sunday. All right, let's hope so. Have a great weekend, everybody.